Hi, this is Becky Pitts, host of the Becky Pitts Morning Show. This is Don Shields, host of the Don Shields Show. This is Joe Brantley, host of the Joe Brantley Show. This is Rob Pacey, voice of PBL Athletics. This is Dan Gee. And you're listening to the Jay and Kale Show. Presented by 104.9 WPXN Paxton Rantoul. And welcome back to the Jay and Kale Show. Presented by 104.9 WPXN Paxton Rantoul. Jay, we put out on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago. We're going we're looking for some topics, begging for some topics, essentially to talk about. And the most voted on thing that we had was uh, movie reviews. Yeah, and, uh, I know we uh, had lots of good sports movies we can pick from, but I feel the choice that we made was definitely a good one. So eager to talk about it. Yeah, today's. Uh, episode is going to feature the first movie review Sunday for Jay and I Sunday afternoon Monday for everybody else um, and let's just jump right into it we uh, watched the movie well it's actually a documentary uh, it's called Iverson uh, Netflix it can be watched on Netflix also be watched on Amazon Prime um, it just basically you know, highlights Allen Iverson's journey, highlights his life, his career path, and and some of the struggles he endured along the way. And man, it was kind of uh, kind of mesmerizing to see what exactly, in what roadblocks he had to uh, endure during his playing career. Yeah, and uh, you hit it right on the head. It, mesmerizing was a good word because I feel like there's a lot of uh, people that pretty much no AI for uh, one specific interview. And they uh, talked about that as far as his whole practice rant. And uh, everybody uh, obviously knew he was a good player. But, I mean, being seventh on the all-time scoring list and uh, kind of bridging the gap a little bit for his his uh, specific culture he was about and some things like that, it, it's really a good watch, honestly. It gives you a better in-depth look at AI's life rather than just the surface of him being a good basketball player. So. The reason why we chose this movie is, number one, AI, and I'm going to probably get fried for saying this, but I think he would have been the next Michael Jordan. Everybody's comparing Zion Williamson, LeBron James. I think AI, if he was able to keep his career on track, per se, he would have been the next Michael, if not better than Michael. But the, 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 the road that he had to take, number one, I did not know that Allen Iverson, you highlighted he's the seventh or all-time in, in scoring. I did not know he was that good of a football player. That is crazy. Uh, pretty crazy to see some of his highlights there. And then, obviously, Mo, uh, the name of the guy who kind of took him under his wing, got him out of the projects. He talked about all the letters and stuff that he got from a bunch of different schools before the, the uh, incident happened with – with him obviously as a later part of his high school career but yeah I mean this dude was pretty much first team all state national talent in two sports yeah. <laughs> and he won state titles in the same year for both football and basketball and he was the number one I mean in foot on the football field he was the quarterback he was the defensive back he returned punts he returned kicks not only did he return them he returned them for touchdowns and he was able to evade and escape pressure and just look downfield if basketball didn't pan out, which obviously as everybody that's watched Allen Iverson throughout his career, that's his that's his go-to. That's his number one love. But, man, alive. Purdue, Ohio State, Illinois, I know offered him. As I was watching that doc, I looked it up. Almost all the Big Ten schools and every SEC school was, was looking at Allen Iverson. Just think of what it would have been like if he played football. 
Yeah, it is. It's pretty crazy to think about those talents that have done that, you know, like the Bo Jacksons and, yep. and people like that to essentially have another another one of those. And, and, and a guy who really wasn't extremely beefy or strong, I would say, just a lot more finesse involved. And I definitely think it would have been something to see him uh, – excel in two professional sports instead of just one so off of that documentary though it was more of a documentary than a movie which i like kind of like documentaries more obviously there's great movies out there but uh the one thing i got out of that that it was very very apparent was that he was was a was a kid that needed a vocal presence you know needed somebody to sit him down you know, tell him what was up, essentially. Hey, you know, you can't be out here doing what you're doing right now because you have a very, very bright future in front of you. And Mo, his mentor who took him in and lived with him, or he lived with that guy for a majority of his high school career. And, you know, I kind of set him an example when he said he almost put him through that car windshield when he got into some trouble or something. And, you know, it seemed like he needed that, not just in high school or, or college with his, with his coach at Georgetown, but maybe in the NBA a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, obviously we talk about it. Um, he struggled. His mom worked however many jobs she could to get him what little they needed to have to survive. And his dad was in and out of prison. And so for him to have a, a figure like Mo to kind of step in, take him under his wing, show him, you know, as far as a moral compass, what right and wrong is, and or at least do his best version of trying to instill that now. And I feel like helped him immensely compared to what it could have possibly been. Um, obviously, we know from Allen Iverson, well, off the basketball court, it hasn't really been a great thing for him. I mean, he's got all the tattoos, and, and just his image was pretty unpopular with uh, a lot of people, you know, other than a small, small, tight-knit group of maybe the hip-hop culture and then basketball, which he kind of bridged. And uh, it, it really is, man – there's so many things that we can go off of in this documentary. I feel like if everyone gets a chance to watch it, it really is interesting to see, you know, just, just life away from a professional sport in general, you know, what yeah. those guys deal with that you don't, you don't see on TV. So how it was portrayed, how it was set up, how it was shot, how it was filmed, the clips of him in his high school career. I mean, everything about that documentary was well done, you know, and, and going back to what you said there, it, if that I feel like if that whole incident at the bowling alley when he was in his senior year did not happen, that we would have had 15, 20 years of, of Allen Iverson dominating with Philly. I really do. Yeah, it was kind of crazy to think about when he got, you know, arrested and all that stuff came about. Um, there was a couple of details that I kind of hung on when it came to his situation that really opened my eyes. First of all, he was 17 years old when he got arrested. Yep. And they waited eight months to try him as an adult. Yep. And then the other attorney that came on said once that he was sentenced to his time in prison, the judge didn't grant him a bond. Yeah, how is that? Only The only criminals in the United States justice system that do not get granted bond are capital murderers. And Allen Iverson is a kid who gets in a fight, and they don't grant him bond, so nobody can bail him out. And crazy. Now I understand it was a documentary portrayed, you know, for for Allen Iverson, but the, right. the the video clips that we they were that were put into that documentary, 
it, it seemed like he was trying to defend himself and then his, his friends were in there doing what, what friends do is somebody gets in an altercation like that. They're going to jump in and, and help your friend out. I mean, nobody wants to see their friend, you know, in a, in a mob situation like that. And from what I saw and recognized out of that, no bond, they waited eight months to try him. He never seemed like he got a fair shake in that court. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's, it seemed to me that there's little to no involvement from AI in that, in that whole situation, but the way that the documentary portrayed it just for the sheer fact that when all the stuff started going down and start to get really bad in that bowling alley, you can see him leave. Right. Yeah. That was kind of the crazy part. Now that you say that, uh, you can see his face clear as day in that video clip, you know, you're right. Standing back, watching and, uh, it all unfold. And he said in that, in that, in that part, that specific part right there that, you know, he's like, I, it, I was scared and I left and I, I, that was just yeah, a turning point for him. And like you said, it was filmed in the uh, sense of obviously on the side of AI, which I mean, rightfully so. I, I don't think he did anything wrong. All the facts that were presented by this side obviously pointed in the direction of something crooked going on. And it's still pretty sad that, you know, even in the mid to late nineties that we're still dealing with a uh, racist type community out there and the, right. You know, cities in Virginia, I know, you know, obviously some of them East, I'm sorry. Yeah. Some of them East coast states have a reputation for that, that kind of crap. Just kind of sad that a guy like that had to deal with that, you know, almost at the turn of the century still. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff like this has been gone for, you know, at that point, almost 50 years. And then here we have a kid who has a fan base all over the world. And, you know, like you said, he'd have been the next Michael Jordan. Everybody from everywhere knew this guy. And he wasn't afraid to speak his mind and he wanted to be himself. He wasn't going to fall into the whole, you know, uh, following orders thing. I mean, not in a bad way, but he wasn't going to make a clone of himself. You know, he was going to do what he wanted to do. And it obviously brought some negatives up from, from some people that, you know, his image wasn't extremely popular to a lot of the country's eye, I feel like, but Hey, you can't fault the guy for being who he wants to be. So. Exactly. And that's what people don't understand is that Alan Iverson was he, the, all the off the court issues. Yeah. But you know, he was portraying who he wanted to be. He wasn't, that's what I like so much and respected so much about Alan Iverson. You know, at the time I didn't understand it cause I was so young, but now that I sit back and watch that documentary, I'm old enough to understand, Hey, he was just being himself. You know, that's, that's what every person and the human wants to do is be themselves. And he just had a grander stage to, kind of portray the way that, you know, he, he lives his life. And now there's some situations in there. Not everybody obviously wants to be involved in altercations like that. Nobody wants to go to jail, but you know, there's, there's things that he did off of the court that were really humbling as well. One thing that in that doc, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit before there's some things in there. I want to talk about in his playing career as well. Um, if you look at that whole Reebok deal, when they were shooting that commercial, do you, did that part where he was just like, Ah, uh, no, nah, man, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, you know, that kind of showed his character a little bit. You know, like, you know, hey, I'm here to work. But at the same time, when it doesn't, you know, when it starts to get on my nerves or whatever, I'm out. So I, there's some character things, obviously, Allen Iverson had that flaws that uh, kind of really hindered him a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of hinted at it a little bit. He went from a kid from the projects that had nothing to, you know, being rich. And right. he talked about how that kind of got to him a little bit. He's 
goes from having nothing, no running water, not knowing where his next meal's coming from to, you know, driving Bentleys around and flying in private jets and getting signed by shoe companies. And, you know, like the, the VP or the owner CEO of Reebok said when they interviewed him, he's like, Alan was just a guy with not a lot of guidance. You know, he's in his early 20s, 22, yep. 23, and nobody's really ever, you know, other than Mo has really ever tried to make an effort. Right. One of his coaches, but, you know, he just was out on his own doing what he thought was right. And I can see how people would be frustrated with him, though. I will say that. We talk about practice. I mean, that's all we're talking about. We're talking <laughs> about that's, – that's the one of my favorite quotes ever. And then now that I sat there and I watched that documentary, right, that shows you somehow the media sometimes can spin things to only – you know, show things that they want people to believe. And, and that was one of those instances because as they play the full quote, they were talking about how, you know, his best friend just got killed in a pretty gruesome way. And then they all of a sudden they're trying to spin that. And they're only playing the – we talk about practice quote because he missed one. And that was tough there. Once they played the full quote that what was – what he was actually trying to portray, I, I kind of, you know, was like, wow, maybe – you know, people really should have laxed up on him a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, like uh, like some of the reporters and analysts talked about that were interviewed about him in that specific press conference, he's going to be remembered by that one soundbite. Yep. You know, the majority of people who don't take time to investigate and look into it and see what the real reason his anger was for and, you know, him being upset, Obviously, losing your best friend, you don't wish that upon anybody. And for this guy to go through that at the age of 27, 26, whatever it was, and then to get called into a, a press conference to talk about missing practice, I'm, I'm sure I would probably uh, go on a little bit of a rant as well. So, And the GM wasn't there. That's something that I would feel like as an owner of a professional sports team, when my star player is, is missed a practice, I kind of feel like I want the voice of the organization, not only that, the guy who conducts, conducts the daily business, to potentially be there in a, something like that. And, it, and the that GM would, talked about that. That would never happen nowadays. Right. If there was any type of player at that type of level, skill, popularity, whatever you want to call it, and some type of something happened where he was going to be disciplined, you can't tell me there wouldn't be somebody in the building that would have been able to grab him and been like, all right, get out. We're done here. Yeah. yeah. But moving off of all the, the you know, side of AI that nobody wants to see, um, I'm, I've got two things here. Number one, the only reason why Tyron Lue has any type of notoriety is because of that finals game uh, when <laughs> AI stepped over him. And number two, I seriously think that once he crossed Michael Jordan um, with that nasty, vicious crossover he had, he paved the way for guys like Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, Josh Harden. I keep – or Josh Harden. Um, good Lord. Uh, James. James Harden, thank you. Um, I can keep going. And uh, yeah. he paved the way for it. Yeah, I think he was really probably the first – of uh, ball handler to be shifty, have a more more skill set that's revolved around being elusive rather than strong and powerful and stuff like that. Because you know, mid late eighties, 
early 90s. We're talking like we have some prolific players that look really good, but there's not a ton of finesse in the game of basketball in that period. It was a whole lot of attack, attack, attack. Right. You got guys like the bad boys in Detroit, you know, that are beating the crap out of each other and tackling people. And then all of a sudden here comes this kid out of nowhere. who's kind of shifty and everyone's like, Oh, all right. Six foot, you know, how many, we know that obviously we're, that just brings me back to an IO thing. How many guards are we talking about that are six foot that are getting drafted in the league today? Yeah. Not very many at his position. I'll tell you that. Yep. And Steph Curry, one of the smallest guys in the league, it seems like, and he's six <laughs> three. I know. And and I'm gonna tell you, go before we move on, going back to what you said about Io and Io's six five. And I had an opportunity to stand next to him one day. I was out on the court for PXN taking some pictures during warm-ups or practice or something. And I, I was standing next to Io listening to him give an interview, and somehow I got right behind him. And let me tell you. I'm right teetering at six foot. He is a true six five. He looks small on TV, but when you get up next to him, he's a big dude. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, and, and you're right. That crossover, I feel like, really changed everything as far as his image and him being considered, you know, potentially one of the better players to ever step on the floor and play the game. So You know, you guys, I'm thinking, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, you talked about the bad boys playing bully ball. You had the only true ball handler back then I could think of in that time would have been magic maybe. And yep. as far as I'm safe to say, Jordan didn't wasn't really a ball handler. You know, he would blow past you, but he didn't. Right, he, was he, more he just a slasher. Kind yeah, of, yeah. He used strength. And then John Stockton. Being able to right, carve yeah. apart defenses. Right. I mean, you have your, your Pistol Peets, obviously, your Jerry West. Right. And, like, I guess when I say elusiveness and more agile, like, that was just kind of a brand of basketball that nobody had ever seen before. Like, right, right, right. The type of hesitation moves and things that Allen brought to the game. You know, guys like Stockton them could really handle the ball, but it was kind of in a different way, I feel like. It wasn't as flashy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying now. And – um but, yeah, I mean, it was – it just really, honestly, after watching that and seeing some of his accomplishments, I mean, two-time All-Star game MVP. He was an All-Star 11 times, seventh on the points-per-game scoring list, four-time scoring champion. And I just – you know, it's kind of one of those, like, Carmelo Anthony kind of stories. Like, he was an extremely popular dude to some because of his image and the way he carried himself. But, you know, you kind of want to see a guy like that be able to hoist the finals trophy one time. And Kobe and Kobe and Shaq took that away from him. But how are they yeah, going to? He had one good game, and Kobe and Shaq are like, "Yeah, sorry, bud. That's that's it. That's all you're getting." You're Allen Iverson, right? You're lacing up to get ready to go play in the finals, and then you look out, and your opponents Shaq and Kobe and D Fish. Oh man! <laughs> like, but like everybody says, you know that '76ers team would have been nowhere near where they were success wise if he wasn't on the floor with them. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's it's hard to argue with that after watching the way he played and that's kind of the one of the things I really appreciated about him is you watch some of these game films and and the way the game's played now I'm not saying not saying guys don't play hard in the NBA now but I feel like there's a kind of pace of play type thing nowadays with injuries and Guys are kind of trying to save themselves. Now, obviously, when the playoffs come around, you get to Eastern Western Conference Finals and then the NBA Finals, 
it's a different brand of basketball at the professional level. They amp it up. But I feel like AI was just kind of one of those guys that all or nothing brought it every night. You know, he'd be diving on the floor for balls and playing good defense. And you didn't, you know, you didn't see, you don't see a ton of that anymore. I feel like that's kind of going away a little bit. One player, one player that comes to mind that would com- be comparable to skill set, and obviously this play, other player's got a lot of height on him. Kawhi Leonard is probably one of the most notable basketball players in the league right now, just for the fact that you know the whole Popovich and San Antonio Spurs thing, and then he goes to Toronto, carries them to a to a finals uh, championship, and then he goes to LA and he says, "Hey, I'm not playing unless I can pretty much." let you know my availability and he sits out on back-to-backs and that's just something that you know Jordan AI Shaq Kobe none of those guys did yeah and I don't really understand that I'm with you and I feel like that uh honestly it could be and I'm with you I might get grilled for this this may be one thing that I get fried for but I feel like that's kind of one of the things that comes into major major effect when we're talking about the effectiveness and greatness and skill set and physical ability of players in Jordan's era versus now. Yep. Like you can't tell me that that isn't something that those guys played every minute of every game, even when they were hurt in the nineties, late eighties, magic, all them, they would, if they could have be on the floor, they were on the floor. They weren't sitting out for a quarter because they're up 20 or in some type of sub rotation where, you know, they're sitting out for six, seven minutes at a time when they're playing a team that's towards the middle pack, top of the division, that stuff like that didn't happen back then. And I think that's, for me, that's one of the reasons why the NBA is slowly, slowly, slowly starting to lose its appeal. Because when I turn the game on, I I should, you know, when I come home and there's nothing else on in the winter, right? The Illini are on off day, whatever. And I want to watch some NBA basketball. Number one, I'm watching for points. I'm watching for the athleticism. I shouldn't have to, oh, okay, well, Kawhi's on his, on a, on a, they're on the, the Clippers are on the second day of a back-to-back Kawhi sitting out or Kevin Durant or whoever, whoever it is. When you got Jordan out there playing with the flu and it's just, it's, it's so annoying. They've gotten so far from where basketball started. And I'm telling you, I, I talk about this with, with my, uh, dad all the time and I tell him I was like you know I missed the best generation of basketball and the, the, that was in the 70s or the 60s to the to the 80s yeah absolutely now it's I'm with you it's going away it's more about money social media this yeah businesses all that stuff like that and the, not that the passion's necessarily going away but you just you don't you don't see it embodied as much I feel now, by the best players in the league. So I guess kind of what we're getting at, AI might have been one of the last few that still had that mentality, I guess. That's yeah, kind of what we're getting you're at. Right. Um, exactly right. This is a short episode today. Movie reviews are kind of tough. We can, I'm trying not to give too much away, but um, let's see. Did anything happen this no, weekend? No? Uh, nothing that I – Nothing that pertains to oh, us, that, anyway. Yeah, that was big, anyway. Obviously, MLB's trying their best to keep uh, baseball in everybody's mind, fresh in everybody's mind. You know, the every seems like every sports outlet you turn on, there's a baseball game going on. I know we, we everybody got to watch Game Seven again for the Cubbies in Cleveland, and yep, Kerry Woods twenty strikeout game, like you saw the other day. I saw some of that as well, and so uh, hopefully we can. Uh, keep baseball in our minds since it is baseball season by now 
I will say ESPN yesterday did a phenomenal job at uh, staying away from everything that's going on. Hey, play play Kerry Woods' twenty strikeout game, and then at what a six o'clock they 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 showed Scherzer's twenty strikeout game, and I forgot how much. You know, and then Zimmerman on the other end for Detroit in that game, how he was dealing. I think he had 12 or 13 in that game as well. I know. It's crazy how uh, how good the pitching is nowadays and how much better it's getting and how guys are really figuring it out and being able to perform at a high level, even towards the latter part of their career. guy like Max Scherzer, obviously Justin Berlander is still up there. Um, Grinky. Yep. And then uh, just when we think we're getting to back to the purity of the sport and we got some good pitchers and pure hitters, we got a team that cheats and <laughs> and rumors of juiced balls. And, God, it's just – baseball's a mess right now. That that, Ver, that Verlander quote at the All-Star break really came back to bite him. You know, talking about how he'd given up – this is the most home runs he'd ever given up in the first half of a season. He says juice balls, and then literally 12 weeks later it comes out that they cheated yeah. in the World Series. Yeah, can you say karma? Yeah, that's, that's what tough. What goes around comes around. The universe takes care of people like that. So, Well, anyway – oh, uh, one more thing. White Sox fans, Kopech uh, got the option to AAA, which I don't know why. And never really – the White Sox never really said why. I feel like it's kind of still a little bit of a rehab type assignment, you know. Which, he is just yeah. coming off Tommy John, you know. I feel like his workload would have been, you know, I feel like the expectations would have been pretty high regardless. But uh, one of my main White Sox insider sources, uh, Andrew Zinner, my neighbor, a good friend of my brother's, good friend of ours as well, uh, he, he talked about how a lot of the people in the White Sox world were kind of keeping Kopech on the shelf best they could as far as not throwing too much at him until about halfway. They were going to kind of see how he recovered and uh, made, make sure everything was good, arm was stable, no pain, things like that. Andrew thought it might have been halfway through the year, maybe just before the All-Star break, before he probably would have been an every every day in the rotation kind of guy. So. And that makes sense because on his spring training outing, I think he only threw one outing and 11 of his – or six of his 11 pitches that he threw – were over triple digits so and yeah. he coming off of surgery man that's really exciting if you're a soft side fan that is man for to see him be wound up like that and, and still have that type of of uh really electric stuff you know even after being under the knife that's that's good to see and there there's so much action on that slider yeah i mean essentially if this kid can figure it out and learn how to pitch i mean we're looking at a we're looking at a big-time, big-time potential household name here for, for years to come. Before we end the show, I got, I've been thinking of this hypothetical question all week, and i am finally got the courage to ask it. This is a blockbuster deal for the, the Dirty Birds and the, and the Northsiders. You ready for this? Yeah, let's, let's see it. Straight up Chris Bryant for Jack Flaherty. Straight up, Chris Bryant for Flaherty. Huh? No, no cash considerations, no picks. They're about equal players to me. Cubs need pitching. It'd work out for me. I don't know. What do you think? Straight up, Flaherty for Bryant. You know, I'm not disagreeing that it wouldn't be a good thing for each team specifically. Um, I just feel like for some reason, St. Louis Nation – and 
more to be more specific, the front office, Mosaliac and, and guys up there really have pride in their farm system buildups. <laughs> I knew this is where this was going. We don't spend any money because we just think that we have an abundance of Tommy Edmonds and people Tyler that can pop up out of nowhere in the farm system. And Flaherty being one of those guys that, you know, we found and kind of developed. I don't think we'd ever part ways with them unless it was a crazy, crazy deal. I honestly would not mind to see Chris Bryant in a Cardinals uniform. There would be nothing better for me to see than to ha watch him take somebody from the north side deep <laughs> to win a ball game at Bush or Wrigley or whatever. I mean, that would be amazing to see. But like I said, in, in hindsight, I don't think we'd part ways with Flaherty. I don't think we'll part right ways with Bryant. You're not going to yeah. – like you're talking about finding Tommy Edmonds, Tyler O'Neill, Jack Flaherty. The Cubs, they've put a lot of money, time, and effort into Bryant trying to make him the face of the franchise, which has been successful. I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm really eager to see what this whole postponing of baseball and, and how this shakes out as far as Bryant's productivity. and Because I know it seems like to me from what I hear – from Cub Nation before everything went south is, I mean, Bryant could very, very well not be a Cub yes. in the very near future. Yes, and that is a, you know, a pulse that's, that's still beating. And everybody on this platform knows my thoughts on it. If we can get what Bryant is worth, that would be a Jack Flaherty-type pitcher. Mm -hmm. It'd be worth it. I really do yeah. think that. Because you could put Nico Horner and Javi. You could put Javi at third if you had to, for crying out loud. Javi could right. play anywhere. That's exactly right. I feel like you guys got a lot of different pieces that if you could go out and get a stud pitcher. We just need one. Right. You could go get a, a number one for one of your higher caliber players and still keep those young guys that you brought up and are successful, you know. I don't your think. Baez, your Kyle Schwarber, your Haps. You know, your Horners, obviously like that. David Bodies, who come out of nowhere. If you could just keep guys like that around, you know, Arizzo, still veteran, Hayward, and then that one electric arm. Yep. Chicago would be right back in the running for another World Series, I'm sure, and then we wouldn't have to roast poor David Ross. I really hope things go well for David Ross because it would be very unfortunate to see him butchered by, by the Cub, Cub fan nation. I'll be one of That's a good career for them. I'll be one of those guys because I've talked about it uh, as soon as he got hired. If this goes sideways and J Joe Madden is a manager, I don't think they should have got rid of Joe. But if this goes sideways and they hired David Ross, a guy who's never managed before, and he's playing with a bunch of guys like Johnny Lester, Rizzo, and Brian, who are all his buddies, there's one guy I'm pegging it on. Yeah. And I've got that image of, hey, game seven, David Ross, he hit that home run, that solo home run to go out with his career. He won a World Series in Chicago. Let's keep it that way. They hired him, and now i am got some different expectations. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like a lot of Cub fans feel that way. So I'm eager to see what David Ross is uh, – what do you, you want to say? I'm really eager to see what his legacy ends up being in yep. Chicago. So. 
Anyway, um, give the Iverson documentary a uh, watch. That's really good, especially if you're any type of an NBA fan, whether you watch it leisurely or you're a diehard. If you're a diehard, you've probably already seen it. It's been out for a long time. But I uh, found that scrolling through the, the Netflix the other day and thought we should give that a watch since we don't really discuss anything NBA. So it's a good start there. So give that a watch. Uh, Thursday's episode or Friday's episode, Thursday for Jay and I, I think we've got some trivia we're going to be talking about. Oh yeah, I heard that. We'll uh, we'll keep some of that a secret though. Hopefully, we get some people to tune in and and interact with us. Those are always fun. So that's going to be coming up this week. Hopefully, we'll get the details worked out. If not, I got something else in the works just in case we can't get that done this week for Friday. But uh, anyway, the Allen Irison give that a watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and download the show on Apple iTunes, WPXNRadio.com, or Stitcher Radio. Give Jay or I a follow at Kale Fleming 10 at JTS 11. Jay, anything else? No, I think that's a wrap. All right, man. I'll talk to you Thursday. Sounds like a plan. Good hearing from you.